questions. We all at times have questions. Uh, we all at times are asked questions. Sometimes the questions are pretty easy to answer. Sometimes they're a little more difficult. When you are a parent, you know, sometimes you get questions that, you know, are like, why? Why? Why can't I do that, Mommy? <laughs> why do I have to do that, Daddy? And then sometimes, hopefully, as the, your children grow older, the questions um, are a little more in-depth. Maybe they're about what we believe and why we believe things, or maybe they're about what's a purpose and meaning in life. I remember um, a number of years ago when our kids were small, I was a youth pastor, and Terry was coming over to see me. It had been a crazy month where I had been putting like 60 plus hours in each week. Uh, just a lot of different things going on. And so, Terry, I, I don't know if our kids were like, you know, two, four, and six, somewhere in that area. But Jordan, our oldest, was around that six years of age. And as they're driving into the parking lot of the church, Jordan asks one of those questions that only little kids can ask. Who built the church? And it's like... <sighs> Why would a six-year-old ask a question like that, right? Who, who, who built the church? And so Terry trying to, you know, okay, so what is Jordan looking for? Well, you know, she says that there's some men that probably built it. You know, she's trying to explain, you know, as best she can, maybe the process of how it happened. And all of a sudden, Jordan says, I know who built the church, Mommy. And she goes, who? Daddy built the church. So he could hang out with the big kids all the time. So needless to say, Terry pulled in the parking lot, grabbed the kids, comes walking into my office and says, do you know what your son just asked me? And do you know what his answer to that question was? Sometimes questions people ask shake us up. remember not too long ago, we were at a cabin as a family, and we were sitting by a fire. It was nighttime, and my daughter, Nicole, asked a question, do you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and lived there for three days? Again, a question by your child, but now the question has... Uh, a lot more impact. There's a lot more depth. There is some searching going on as to why. Well, the church in Corinth has lots of questions, and that's partly, if you th really consider Paul's letters to any of the churches, they're in response to things that the church is doing wrong and they need correction, or it's a response to questions that they have. And it's like all of us, we all have questions, and if we aren't asking questions, then maybe we're just coasting through life, because I think we should be asking questions our whole life. Because if you think about it, the, the, the vastness of God means no, at no time in our existence will we have 
all of the understanding and all of the answers. So the church is asking Paul questions, and the present questions we've been talking about is all to do with pornea or sexual immorality, and we talked last week about the pain that happens, and people, some of the men in the church are continuing to visit prostitutes. And that there's stuff that happens around sex. We talked about it last week that there's a glue that happens between a man and a woman when they are in a covenant relationship, when they engage in sexual activity. And it's a glue that, again, we we don't fully understand what that looks like and how that works, just like we don't fully understand the Trinity we don't fully understand what the relationship between Jesus and the church is, this bride and groom picture. So too, there is something that happens in sexuality that is a glue that bonds two people together. We don't fully understand, but it's there. And so Paul is giving them instructions. He's telling them no to prostitution. He is saying to flee all sexual immorality. There are things you need to change in your life. And in chapter 7, as we move there today, we will see that there, he talks more about Pornea, sexual immorality, he talks more about healthy side of our sexuality. But like most questions, most really good questions, you answer the one question and then that presents two or three more questions. And so here's part of the deal for the church in Corinth. Paul has been writing back and forth and answering some of their questions, but it's creating more. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Paul writes this, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships, relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the unmarried, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, 
If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a, man, if, if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? There's a lot there. We're not going to cover it all. We're going to drop deep into a couple of spots and then just kind of give a bird's eye view. There's a bunch of questions that Paul is dealing with there, but all of those questions, I think, really stem from one question. And that one question, I think, that is being asked of Paul is this. Can a man have sexual relations with a woman? I mean, this seems like an interesting question if you think about it. I mean, we've, we've talked about, and Paul has talked about, the impact of sex on a person. We, we've talked about our sexuality, that it is a gift from God, and maybe a voice rises up when we are discussing this and fleeing from sexual immorality, and maybe there's some that are going, God, we, we just need to stay away from sex altogether because... You know, Paul, he says. There are others who are maybe going, whoa, 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 wait, what about God's grace? God's grace says, I, I can do anything, really. It, it's all about the spirit. It's not a matter about the flesh. I mean, the flesh is going to die anyway. So do whatever you want in the flesh, but make sure your spirit is on course. So Paul is trying to provide correction and to answer questions. And so Paul's response to the question we find in verse 1, and it is this, simply, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What? Are you serious, Paul? Uh, wait, I thought God created us. I, I thought God created our sexuality. Brad, you remember when you said that first, a few weeks ago, one of those foundational pieces that we need to stand on, uh, God created our sexual sexuality? So, so what you're telling me is celibacy is the best? I, I mean, how do we be fruitful and multiply if we're, if we're not having sexual relations with a woman? So here we have these questions, and sometimes in our translations, as we've seen many times before, we lose some of the content, sometimes because we live in this Western culture, we lose some of what is being asked and what is being said, and so the literal translation really of this verse could be, and, and for a lot is this, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That, that doesn't help. 
I mean, seriously, again, not, not, not to touch a woman, that sounds more restrictive, that sounds Puritan. Ah, but thankfully, there's people who've been asking some of the same questions you may be going on in your mind, at least they were going on in my mind. What, what is Paul talking about? And some of these scholars went and took and looked at, because this is really the only place that Paul or anywhere in the Bible that it says uh, it's not good for her to touch a woman. So what they do sometimes, scholars, is they go into what they call extra-biblical sources. That means sources writings that are outside the Bible that are from that period, and they look for phrases or words, and they try to get understanding and meaning by looking outside of the Bible. And so they found 25-plus sources outside the Bible, and they found this phrase, to touch a woman. And it's interesting because in all of those sources... It was a sexual euphemism. So, what is a euphemism? A euphemism is, a, is an expression or a word that softens the harsher reality. So, so for example, somebody says, yeah, I'm, I'm taking early retirement. Well, maybe that's what they say, and the reality is they were fired. So, the euphemism is, I took early retirement. It doesn't sound so bad. I feel a little bit better out about myself. And so this to touch a woman is a sexual euphemism from back then. And the meaning of that to touch a woman was to act on sexual passions and pleasures to gratify one's self. We have a similar sexual euphemism today. It's called hookup. You've heard of the hookup culture, maybe. Maybe you, if you've got teenager, young adults, may, maybe you've had this experience like I had the experience a while ago saying, yeah, so so-and-so and I, we hooked up and had lunch. Dad, you can't say that today. And the reason is, to hook up is a sexual euphemism for today, meaning to have sex with another person. So, in Paul's culture, to touch a woman meant taking one's fill sexually without the concern for the other person. So in other words, Paul could be saying it is good for a man not to use a woman for sexual gratification. Oh, now that makes sense, right? All of a sudden it's like, okay, I kind of get what Paul is talking about. This fits in what we learned last week about sexual immorality or pernia. This is why Paul says, flee it, because we are not to, and remember, this is one of the foundational pieces we talked about a few weeks ago, our inner desire, that sexual desire, it, it was given to us by God, it is good, but we can allow that desire to control our life and to abuse others if we don't 
provide discipline and control around our own desires. What human sexuality was created for is not just procreation, but it is an expression of love and unity between a husband and wife. In fact, if you read the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, depending on how you see that title, that book is full of expressions of love between husband and wife. So the main question Paul is answering is, is it okay to express yourself sexually for your own gratification? And his answer is no, it's not. And then he goes on into verses 2 through 5 and says this, glorify God with your body and marriage. And where I get the glorify God part is chapter 6, verse 20. The last verse in chapter 6, the last instruction Paul gives the church is to glorify God in your bodies. After all this talk about fleeing sexual immorality, glorify God in your bodies. And so here's a way to glorify God in your body, in marriage. Paul is basically saying since pornea, sexual immorality is happening, you should, each man and each woman should have sexual relationships with their spouse. And to have in this text is really to stand in close relationship. It's, it's an ownership piece. And this fits right along with that picture of sealed together, cement together, glued together. Because you are glued together, because you're cemented together, in my words, keep glued together. How do you keep glued together? By being intentional about developing your relationship with your spouse, mind, body, soul. Every part of your being, but in this case in the Bible, since sexual immorality is rampant, make sure you don't fall to that sin. And one way you make sure you don't fall to that sin is by making sure that you and your spouse stay glued we have to remember um, Paul's picture of marriage and sexuality is built on the goodness of creation. If you remember in chapter 6, he quotes the creation story. He quotes that man shall leave his husband and cleave or be glued to his wife. But then Paul says this crazy thing in verse 4. He says, a wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over her own body, but yields it. What, what's that all about? I, I mean, having authority. But again, if we understand the culture, the culture is a patriarchal culture where the husband owns and has authority over everything. So yes, a wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody in the church, yep, absolutely, amen. Preach it, Paul. The husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but yields it. Now that went against the culture. What? 
What are you talking about, Paul? And see how we can take things and go off the deep end because in that culture, the husband had authority over everything in his household, even the servants. Some men would use the servants to fulfill their sexual desires. So on the one side, Paul is saying to the husbands, um, stop. Stop having sexual relations with anyone other than your wife. On the positive side, Paul is saying, find your pleasure in your wife. Keep glued together. Paul continues to look at this, is it okay to have sexual relations or uh, with others? And he says another area that we need to talk about is found in verse 6 through 9, glorify God by remaining single or getting married. Whatever works for you. I, I mean, that, that's my <laughs> interpretation. I mean, because the question is, is, is it better to remain unmarried or to, you know, and, and stay celibate? Or is it better to be married? And um, Paul talks about this gift of celibacy to a certain extent, but he's not saying it is better to be a celibate. He's talking about that the main Thing is this, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's better if you can do that while you're single, because you'll have more time, you'll have less responsibilities. We kind of talked about this amongst the elders on Thursday night as we were talking about outreach, and we just, we just talked about, for those of us who are empty nesters, we have more time, less responsibility than those of our elders who have little ones around the house. It's just a fact. So Paul is saying, hey, if you can do it, don't be married and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But he says, if your desire burns in you, then get married. It's really okay. And then when you're married, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ together. That's my addition. And part of the reason I can put that there, in my opinion, is because what has Paul been talking about from the beginning of 1 Corinthians? Our mission is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Anything, my summary of what we've learned so far, anything that keeps us from proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ is wrong. There's another way to glorify God in your body, and it's this. Glorify God by remaining married. So the question that Paul was getting is, uh, is it okay for me to, to divorce my spouse? But we have to understand, too, is that in the Greco-Roman world, when Paul was writing, women and men could divorce their partners really easy. They called it a divorce by separation. They could simply say, leave, or I'm leaving, and it was a done deal. 
Divorce was very common. It was even so common that there have been found certain marriage certificates which in, in the wording said as much as, and still, death do us part, but more until we part. So, so divorce was rampant. The vast majority of marriages didn't make it until death. So it's in this context that Paul says, remain married. This fits what Jesus says in Mark 10. Remain married. Don't get divorced. And even if you do divorce, then remain single because there is this feeling of adultery when you separate. But as we know, um, divorce happens. And for those of you who have gone through divorce, you, you know way better than I do, and we talked about that last week, the separation that happens and the hurt and the pain and the ugliness that is divorce. Thankfully, we have a God who is filled with grace and love and redemption and reconciliation, and it's all bigger than anything we experience or do so. Um, remain married. But if you're divorced, pursue God. Of course, the question comes up, what, what if... What if your spouse is not a Christian? What do I do if my spouse is not a Christian? Verses 12 through 16. Paul says, glorify God by staying married to the unbeliever. You may sanctify your unbelieving spouse. You may bring your spouse to salvation by remaining with them. This is why you should remain with them. Now, this isn't suggesting in, in that, you know, your spouse will be sanctified, that they're going to be saved. They still have to surrender their life to Jesus, but they're in an environment where Christ is. You have an opportunity to live out your life for the glory of God and impact your unbelieving spouse. The goal is salvation of the unbeliever. Now what Paul is not saying is it's okay to marry an unbeliever. Because we get to, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul clearly says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Don't come into a covenant relationship. What was happening is Unbelievers heard about Jesus, the husband or the wife goes, I'm going to follow Jesus, and now all of a sudden there's a spouse that isn't. I'm not. And so now you have this. It wasn't the type of thing, I'm a follower of Jesus, I really want to get married, and so I'll marry an unbeliever so I can get married, or for whatever reason. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, don't marry an unbeliever. Don't be unequally yoked. If you both were unbelievers and you become a Christian, then stay married. In conclusion today, 
I hope we see that our sexuality is created by God. We have this desire within us, and it is from God. It is a beautiful thing. And like anything that God has created, we have the propensity to distort it, to make it not what God has intended. Our sexuality is a powerful thing. It's not only beautiful, it's powerful and precious. And that's why we strongly encourage people to wait until they're in covenant relationship. Not because it's bad, it's evil, or any of that kind of stuff. It's because it's beautiful. It's good. It's great. It is something that honors God, God created. And if you want to experience it in the fullness of the way God created, experience it in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. And I hope you have heard me say that we all make mistakes. Some of us, we've gone through a divorce or we had sex before marriage or whatever. The shame and the guilt is lifted because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the last thing is this. The reason why we want to glorify God in our bodies is because we want to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. That's our mission. And the way we do it is by setting ourselves apart by living our lives in a way that's holy and pleasing for the Lord. Amen.